Former NCAA swimming champion Riley Gaines stands against men competing against women in a recent cycling competition in Kentucky. And Pride Month 2023 comes to a bitter end with public displays of nudity in Seattle, New York City, and other locations. Also, Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, a former associate dean of curriculum at the University of Pennsylvania's Perelman School of Medicine, speaks out against the insanity of gender-affirming care. And finally, there's a new film coming out. It's going to come out on July the 4th, and it's called Sound of Freedom. The film stars Jim Caviezel, and it's based on a true story which uncovers the horrors of child sex trafficking. These stories and dictionary wars, all in today's edition of Narrative Wars. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. We the people are sick and tired. Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now... Narrative Wars with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired. Hey everyone, thank you again. This is your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. I'm really excited for uh, what the material that we're going to dig into in this show. It's really packed. Hey, we usually do one episode a week. I've been shooting for Tuesdays. This week is kind of special. We're going to experiment and see if we can get in two episodes this week. I believe we can, uh, coming out Monday and then Thursday. If you like that, let us know. Uh, you can contact us at feedback at narrativewars.org. But I felt that the last story that we have about this new film coming out with Jim Caviezel is so important. It's going to open on July the 4th. I felt that that's so important that we need to get this episode out prior to July the 4th. So we will get to that story. But right now, let me cue up our first story. It has to do with a group that uh, protested against gen transgender athletes uh, in Kentucky. And uh, so this is a story uh, coming out of Knoxville, Tennessee. We're going to jump right into this story. And Riley Gaines was one of the prominent voices there. Uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, speaking out against men competing in women's cycling. And this happened in Knoxville, Tennessee. So uh, for a little background here, this was this was recent. Uh, and uh, let, let's take a listen to this cut uh, with Riley Gaines testifying uh, before the United States Senate just a few days ago. Good morning, senators. My name is Riley Gaines. I'm an advisor for Independent Women's Voice. I recently graduated from the University of Kentucky where I was a member of the UK's women's swim and dive team. I proudly finished my career as a 12-time NCAA All-American, a five-time SEC champion, the SEC record holder in the 200 butterfly, making me one of the fastest Americans of all time, a two-time Olympic trial qualifier, SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year, and SEC Community Service Leader of the Year. But all of that to say that it's a lifelong journey competing at that level and it's impossible to put into words the amount of sacrifice and dedication that it takes. On March 17th of 2022, my teammates and I, as well as female swimmers from universities around the country, were forced to compete against biological male Leah Thomas. 
Thomas was allowed to compete in the women's division after competing as a member of the University of Pennsylvania's men's swim team for three years as Will Thomas. We watched on the side of the pool as Thomas swam to a national title in the 500 freestyle, beating out the most impressive and accomplished female swimmers in the country, including many Olympians and American record holders by body lengths. Previously, Thomas had been ranked 462nd at best in the men's division the year prior. The next day, I raced Thomas in the 200 freestyle, which ended up in a tie. Um, we went the exact same time down to the hundredth of a second. Having only one trophy, the NCAA handed it to Thomas and told me I had to go home empty-handed. And when I asked why, which was a question they were not prepared to be asked, I actually appreciate their honesty because they said, Thomas, it was crucial Thomas had it for picture purposes. Thomas had to have it for the pictures. I felt betrayed. I felt belittled. I felt reduced to a photo op. But my feelings didn't matter. What mattered to the NCAA were the feelings of a biological male. So what was important to the NCAA was the optics and pushing a narrative. Well, uh, I'm, we're saying right here uh, at Narrative Wars, nope, sorry. Nope, nope, no. Nope. We're just, no, we're throwing a flag on the field. There it is. Yep, right there. There's a flag. I see it. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. This is just, this is just not right. Well, again, here it is in women's cycling. So we fast forward to Knoxville, Tennessee, and we're going to listen to this uh, next cut here. In Knoxville, Tennessee, there was a recent uh, race, uh, cycling race. Protesters held a rally uh, Sunday against the Union Cyclistic International UCI policy that allows transgender or fake women to compete in women's cycling races. Let's take a listen to this. As a former collegiate swimmer, Riley Gaines says transgender women should not be allowed to compete in women's sports. This issue is important to me because I directly faced it. I saw how it affected not just myself, I saw how it affected every girl on that pool deck, yet they were scared to speak out. As a part of the Independent Women's Forum, she helped organize a rally against the Union Cyclist International's policy that allows transgender women to compete in women's races, including the USA Cycling Pro Road. We deserve fairness, we deserve safety in our sports, and we deserve dignity. And their discriminatory policies that they're enacting and implementing right now, they're they're discriminating against us on the basis of sex. The Inga Thompson Foundation also headed up the event. Thompson is a former Olympic cyclist and says women don't want to compete if they don't think they have a chance. It's become very simply, this is not fair for women athletes. And so we're asking them to review the policy because we have such overwhelming um, evidence that it is not fair to women. So that was Inga Thompson. Now, she's a three-time Olympian from the U.S. Of course, that, that cut started with, again, Riley Gaines. She was there also to support Inga Thompson. And uh, she uh, is an American road cyclist. She represented Team USA three times as an Olympian. And she calls on professional riders to protest Union Cycliste International UCI policies for transgender athletes' participation in the sport. Now, Thompson's uh, put out a tweet. It came out about a week after Austin uh, Killips, transgender female, won the tour of the Gila over category uh, against biological females. Well, who's Austin Killips? Austin Killips is another fake woman. It, how many times do we have to keep saying this? Uh, and so we had fake woman 
in uh, women's swimming, right? NCAA's women's swimming. That uh, uh, was um, uh, Mia Thomas. And now we have fake woman Austin Killups in uh, cycling. Again, you know, he, this is how it goes. You know, if you're mediocre or way at the bottom of the pack of men's competition, uh, then you just uh, say one day, hey, look, I have a Barbie doll. I'm a woman. And uh, you prance around the uh, courtyard and uh, then you get to go compete against the women. And uh, chances are you can do uh, rather well. Because why? Because you've got a larger frame. You've got a different uh, bone structure, a uh, different set of lungs. And uh, so it's Yes, it's extremely unfair. And this will signal the destruction of women's sports. So continuing in the article, uh, it's time for women cyclists to start protesting. UCI Cycling Policy Thompson tweeted, start taking a knee at the starting lines. Now that's interesting. Remember all that, uh, all those athletes that took a knee for Black Lives Matter, all those uh, professional athletes in football and in other sports, taking a knee, basketball, other sports. Well, uh, Thompson is saying, this is the three-time Olympic uh, uh, women's cycling uh, competitor, Thompson. She's saying, quote, start taking a knee at the starting lines. Team managers need to speak up and protect their riders. Hold signs at every race. Save women's sports. So this truly signals uh, the beginning of the destruction of women's sports. That's what we're watching. And so we need to push back. And Thompson is at the head of the spear uh, pushing back against these fake women that are competing in women's sports. Thompson won three silver medals uh, at the UCI Road World Championships and silver at the Pan American Games back in 1987. So she's been involved in uh, competitive world class uh, cycling uh, for women for many, many years. Now, continuing with the story... The UCI tightened its rules for transgender female riders. There it is again. The UCI tightens its rules for fake women riders to compete against biological females in its events. According to writers, uh, the organization have the maximum permitted plasma testosterone level to 2.5. Okay, so look, if you got so much testosterone or so, uh, or it falls uh, below a certain level, then you can compete and be a fake woman. This is ridiculous. Uh, this is just tinkering with science. This is uh, calling a square a circle. This is absolute nonsense. And, you know, if you read these statements by the UCI, then they've already won and, and, and you've lost the narrative. So that's why I refuse when I, when I read their statements. I refuse to use their language. Uh, moving on to the next story. Okay, let's take a look at the next story here. And uh, we're going to talk about, well, how do, you, how do you transition to this? All right, I'm going to try and do a soft transition to this next story, which is the gay parades. Uh, so the disgusting uh, June month of uh, shame, you know, I'm not going to even call it Pride Month. I'm going to call it Shame Month. I uh, wish I came up with that a few weeks earlier. So Shame Month wrapped up this last weekend with shame events across the United States. Uh, Seattle, Washington, a viral video on Sunday showed a group of fully nude cyclists performing 
in front of children at an LGBTQ uh, baby one, two, three, you and me uh, shame parade in Seattle, Washington. Well, shame on these people. And of course, this is uh, we're doing an audio podcast, so we can't roll that. And you don't want to see it anyway because it's disgusting. But uh, we are going to uh, give a listen to something else. Now, uh, there was another shame parade in New York City, and the people were chanting. And uh, I'm not even going to tell you what they're chanting. I'm just going to roll the cut, and uh, you, can, uh, you can listen to it. Well, I think you were able to make that out. They were chanting, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. And they are. Uh, they don't even uh, hide it. These people are uh, disgusting. They're perverted. Perverted meaning they are uh, outside the norm. They do not uh, recognize the normal boundaries of decency. And they want to they want to destroy your children. Do you doubt me? Don't doubt me because I've come with the uh, bona fides here. Homosexual manifesto. This was submitted to the United States Congress in 1987. Uh, you can look it up. It's very easy to find. And it was by Michael Swift. He was a gay revolutionary, and it was reprinted from the Congressional Record of the United States Congress, first printed in the Gay Community News. And this was way back February of 1987. Well, I'm going to just read a few quotations, lift out a few quotations here. And I, I need to warn you, if you have children uh, next to you, maybe you're riding in the car or you're listening to this somewhere where children are around you, you may want to uh, let the kitties play in a different room. You might want to hit pause and tell the kitties to play somewhere else because this is adult content here, but it's in the congressional record. And this is who these people really are. You need to understand that when they're chanting, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for their chi for your children, uh, they've, been, they've been working on this since 1987. And now they're so proud, uh, they're so full of shame uh, that uh, they're just chanting it uh, publicly and uh, they're, they're taking, they're disrobing in front of children. Absolutely disgusting. So I quote from the Homosexual Manifesto portions of this document submitted to the United States Congress in 1987 uh, by Michael Swift. Quote, We shall sodomize your sons, emblems of your feeble masculinity, of your shallow dreams and vulgar lies. We shall seduce them in the schools, in your dormitories, in your gymnasiums, in your locker rooms, in your sports arenas, in your seminaries, in your youth groups, in your movie theater bathrooms, in your army bunkhouses, in your truck stops, in your all-male clubs, in your houses of Congress, wherever men are with men together, your sons shall become our minions and do our bidding. They will be recast in our image. They will come to crave and adore us. Uh, moving on, quote, all laws banning homosexual activity will be revoked, 
Instead, legislation shall be passed, which engenders love between men. Well, that, that's already happened. Remember, this was written in 1987, so now we have gay marriage. I continue. We will triumph only when we present a common face to the vicious heterosexual enemy. Let me read that again. We will triumph only when we present a common face to the vicious heterosexual enemy. So they see this as war between the gays and those that disagree with the gay lifestyles who they characterize as being the, quote, vicious heterosexual enemy. They're not hiding this. Folks, this was out since 1987. If you didn't know about this, uh, you should be aware of this. And if you're talking about or if you have children who are looking at going to college, if you have children who are in college, you better think carefully about the schools that you're sending your children to and what they're hearing and what they're getting in their classes because many of these, especially in the social sciences fields, have already been affected by this way of thinking. They hate the family unit. Quote, the family unit, which only dampens imagination and curbs free will, must be eliminated. So they hate the family unit. They hate any laws banning homosexuality. We've already covered that. And they hate people of faith. Quote, all churches who condemn us will be closed. Our only gods are handsome young men. This is what Swift wants. Uh, then he said, goes on and says, we shall rewrite history. Yeah, that's what uh, revolutionaries do. They lie to you and they rewrite history. And the final statement here in the document, tremble, hetero, swine, when we appear before you without our masks. Well, they're already beginning to do that in these disgusting shame parades in the state of Washington and Seattle and in New York City, and they're shaming themselves by disrobing. Oh, and of course, we could mention also how they disrobed on the White House lawn and they raised their gay pedo flag uh, between the flags of the United States of America. This has always been their goal. This is who they are. These are not nice people. These are not friendly people. You cannot reason with people who hold to this ideology. Well, Narrative Wars continues to expand its audience, both in the United States and internationally. And you can follow us on social media. Once again, Twitter, Getter, True Social. Just search for at Jeffrey K. Lyons. That's at Jeffrey K. Lyons on Twitter, Getter, or Truth Social. You can also go to good old-fashioned website. Just type in narrativewars.org. That's narrativewars.org. And you'll find all our past shows and connections to your favorite podcasting apps. We're very close to reaching 2,000 downloads of Narrative Wars. And we really thank you for that. Yeah, we really thank you. Boy, we, uh, thank, thank you so much. Thank, you guys are terrific. Oh, I love this audience. And so please, five-star rate, follow, tell two to three like-minded friends. We truly appreciate your support. You're the reason why we do this program. And now let's continue. All 
All right, let's move on to our next story. This next story uh, was from Fox Business, June 9, 2023. And it has to do with the uh, chairman of a nonprofit called Do No Harm, Dr. Stanley uh, Goldfarb. And he discusses the long-term effects of putting children on puberty blockers. Let's take a listen. That is a patient for life a seven-figure patient. According to Grandview Research, in 2021, the U.S. transition market size was about $1.9 billion. In 2030, it's expected to reach $6 billion. Joining us now to talk about it is Dr. Stanley Goldfarb. In this particular instance, I think what you're seeing is this whole ideology about gender affirmation, so-called gender affirmation, uh, coming to uh, reality. and. Um, the idea here is to prevent children from going through puberty. By doing so, the, the argument is made, this gives them a chance to consider whether they want to go on hormones that are then going to change their secondary sexual characteristics and ultimately for surgery. The problem here is more than the fact that it's not FDA approved is the fact that over 95% of children who start these puberty blockers end up on the hormones. And the hormones, as well as the puberty blockers, do produce irreversible long-term changes. So these puberty blockers, these drugs that they take uh, first to block puberty and then to transition to the other gender, supposedly, they turn these people into seven-figure lifelong patients. And the, at the beginning of the story, it was mentioned, this industry is projected to go from currently about $1 billion to $7 billion in 2030. In fact, it is abhorrent to talk about the butchering of children as an industry. E even to use the term industry is absolutely abhorrent. This is barbarism. This is, this is barbarism to hack up children and to mutilate them with surgery. So we, we need to call it for what it is. Well, the former Ivy League medical school dean pledged to fight woke health care. And, and this was written up in a recent Wall Street Journal piece. And uh, so Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, he is a, a former associate dean of curriculum at the University of Pennsylvania's uh, Perelman School of Medicine. Now, he wrote that he decided to start Do No Harm, that's the uh, name of his nonprofit, after finding more than, get this, 2,700 recent papers, those are academic papers in journals, on, quote, racism and medicine, unquote, uh, listed in the National Library of Medicine uh, database. So medicine has been taken over uh, by the woke crowd, by the DEI crowd, and uh, so it's being tagged as being racist. I I'm not sure how treating somebody for the common cold is racist, but these days racism is just one of those terms that uh, the far left uses in order to uh, pursue identity politics, to pursue culture wars, uh, in order to divide people, uh, the balkanization of America. We've talked about that. So the papers reflect a growing trend in medical schools and residency training programs to blame poorer health outcomes for minorities on, quote, systematic racism, unquote, of white physicians giving inferior care 
uh, to people of color. So if you're white and if you're a physician, uh, you're, you're a bad doctor uh, because you're practicing systematic racism. That, there's no question about it. You're, you're a white doctor. That's it. You're just, you're just racist. Quote, yet the most commonly cited studies are shoddily designed. They ignore such critical factors as pre-existing conditions or reach predetermined and sensationalized conclusions that aren't supported by reported results. Well, I saw this when I was teaching at the doctoral level, and I saw students come and they wanted to get their PhD, but they had already uh, decided what the conclusion of their research was going to be. They were going to use their doctorate and their research as a cudgel, as a weapon, as, as a way of pushing forth a narrative. And I saw this as, a, uh, as an instructor, as a faculty member at a university. So the fact that he says most commonly cited studies are shoddily designed, ignore such critical factors as pre-existing conditions, or here's the important part, reach predetermined and sensationalized conclusions that aren't even supported. Uh, I saw that. I saw that at the university that I was teaching at. So um, let's continue. He's going to talk a bit now. Interview continues, and Dr. Goldfarb talks about what's going on in Europe uh, regarding the transgender madness. No debate, no dissent. The science is settled. That's not the case. If you look overseas, Finland has mm. cut back on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to minors. Sweden, Norway, Britain's National Health Service shut the country's largest youth gender clinic because they were there were people who were not doctors, not scientists, pushing children into this, quote, gender affirming care who were did not have gender dysphoria. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the experience in, in the Europe in Europe has really been a, a sort of an eye-opening event because these are countries that have had longer experiences than in the United States with this so-called treatment. And the ones you mentioned have come to that conclusion that, in fact, there's evidence that they're doing more harm than good. And again, I think the reason is because they're taking individuals who would go through puberty and be perfectly normal individuals, and they're turning them into individuals who require these medications, as you said in the beginning, for the rest of their lives, including surgery that can be quite quite mutilating. You know, we work closely with a young woman named Chloe Cole, who you may right. have heard of. She is a young woman who, at age uh, 15, had her breasts removed, and now she's a beautiful 19-year-old woman who goes around the country telling uh, individuals, telling physicians, telling legislators how this has really basically ruined her reproductive life and maybe her life in general. And she felt like she was not given an informed consent. So this same insanity is happening in Europe, and yet Europe is beginning to push back. They're seeing how terrible the results of this. They're seeing the, uh, the lies behind the narrative, and they're beginning to push back. Hopefully that will happen in the United States of America soon, and that the medical schools will stop teaching this uh, gender-affirming care madness, and that... Uh, the legislatures uh, within the different states across America will continue to make it illegal. A number of states already have passed laws to make it illegal to cut off boy parts and to hack off uh, female parts. And so let's hope that that continues because we need to protect our children because they are the most vulnerable ones of in society. 
Well, Narrative Wars now continues with Dictionary Wars, and whatever happened to that phrase, do no harm, that was the uh, name of the nonprofit organization that was founded by Dan, Dr. Stanley uh, Goldfarb, who we just heard in the previous piece. But whatever happened to that frame, that that phrase was part of the Hippocratic Oath, but in certain medical schools, it's not even being used. Uh, this was part of the oath that doctors uh, once took and spoke for centuries, and it goes back to Hippocrates, uh, one of the very uh, first medical doctors or physicians going way back to the ancient world. Uh, Columbia University medical students uh, have written their own oath. Whoa, okay. Uh, let's see how they improved upon it. And it allows a harm. Oh, no. Wait, wait, wait. Did I read that correctly? The Columbia University med students have written their own oath. Oh, uh, it shamefully allows harm under the pretense of gender equity and diversity. Well, <laughs> these are my own words, which I wrote in my own show prep. Yep, sure enough, it does. This crazy new Hippocratic oath uh, is hypocritical uh, because it allows harm. Uh, and it's all because it's all done under the uh, auspices of equity and inclusion, which is hogwash. You know, a fish smells from the head to the tail. And this one, whoo, this one really smells bad. Yeah, it really does. It's a, whoo, that's a stinker. And so this is signaling the end of allopathic or traditional Western medicine as a healing art. The new Hippocratic Oath uh, recited and published on the by uh, Columbia University. You can uh, see it in our uh, show notes. Uh, here's a couple quotes uh, from that uh, new oath that the uh, students are taking. Quote, We enter the profession of medicine with appreciation for the opportunity to build on the scientific and humanistic achievements of the past. Well, already we got a problem here because... Humanistic achievements of the past weren't always that great. We continue. We also recognize the acts and systems of oppression affecting in the name of medicine. Oh, there's oppression. Well, yeah, Dr. Stanley Goldfarb just mentioned that there's been 2,700 articles which were based on shoddy evidence and pre-existing conclusions that there's racism in modern medicine. Hmm. So there it is right there in their oath. We recognize the acts and systems of oppression affecting in the name of medicine. Of course, you have to have an antagonist in order to push the Marxist agenda. Okay, it continues. We take this oath of service to begin building a future grounded in truth, restoration, and equity. There it is again, equity. Yeah, we'll equally chop off the nuts of all the guys and then chop off the breasts of all the women, and then everybody will be happy. Uh, no, no, I'm saying no. That's not right. Uh, and equity to fulfill medicine's capacity to liberate the oath begins. The oath also instructs students to contribute to the field of medicine through, quote, ethical study and equitable evidence-based care. Oh, there it is again. Evidence-based care. What, shoddy evidence? Fabricated evidence? Evidence based on conclusions 
that were already agreed upon before the study was even conducted, as well as address systematic issues in the institutions. Well, that's uh, sounds a lot like systematic racism, institutional racism, uh, something that's been pushed by Marxists in universities for the last 30 years or more, 40 years, 50 years upheld in the medical profession. Quote, I promise to self-reflect diligently to confront these. Again, these are the medical students saying this when they graduate. Uh, medical students from Columbia University, future doctors, you might want to ask if you have a young doctor that came from this university or any university, what, what university did you go to, by the way? Columbia University? Oh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to exit right out of that door. I promise to self-reflect diligently to confront unconscious prejudices and to develop the skills, knowledge, and character necessary to engender an inclusive, equitable field of medicine. So, yeah, we'll treat everybody the same. We'll, uh, we'll butcher everyone the same. And uh, no problem here. What happened to just treating people for disease without having a social agenda? What happened to just helping people without pushing Marxist ideology and being at the forefront of the... Uh, narrative war, the for forefront of the narrative war, which is destroying America uh, by uh, pushing these uh, Marxist views and pushing identity politics. Why do we have to get this? Why do we have to get an earful of this? When we look, I look, doctor, I, I just, my kid broke his arm, you know, he was out there skateboarding. Can you just set his arm and put it in a cast? without giving me a speech about how evil, oppressive that skateboard was because it was made by a white guy. So that white guy was trying to attack my kid, evil capitalist. You know, I, I don't need all that. I don't know. No, I don't need all that. But we move on. All right, we teased this at the beginning of the show. There's a new movie coming out, and it's going to be coming out on July the 4th, 2023. This is going to be a powerful film, and it's called The Sound of Freedom. The film features uh, Jim Caviezel. Uh, you remember he played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. And so uh, let me just read a little bit about the film, and then we're going we're gonna to listen to a bit of the trailer here. Sound of Freedom, based on the incredible true story, it shines a light on even the darkest of places. After rescuing a young boy from ruthless child traffickers, a federal agent learns the boy's sister is still captive and decides to embark on a dangerous mission to save her. With time running out, he quits his job. So he leaves his job with the federal government. And on his own, uh, he quits his job, journeys deep into the Colombian jungle, and he puts his life on the line to free uh, this young boy's sister from a fate worse than death. Let's take a listen to this. When God tells you what to do, An 
estimated two million children are trafficked every year, and we can help them. Sound of Freedom is based on a true story about real-life heroes saving kids from the dark world of child trafficking. We know this is heartbreaking and it hurts to look at, but the first step in helping these children is hearing their story. Not enough people know this problem exists, and even fewer people are willing to do anything about it. Our goal is to inspire two million people to attend the film's opening weekend, to represent the two million trafficked children around the world, to spread the word. Angel Studios set up a pay it forward program where you can pay for someone else's ticket who might not otherwise see it. If the ticket price is stopping you from attending, claim your free ticket at angel.com freedom. Sound of Freedom opens the week of July 4th. Every parent, every adult, and every teenager in America should be there to see it. If millions of us come together today to see this film, we could propel the movement to help save millions of children around the world. And you can send the message that God's children are no longer for sale. Jill, what do we have to say about this film? Please, please see the movie. Secondly, tell your friends about it. It opens on July 4th. They'd like to have two million on opening day. Please see the movie. If you're a parent or you're a grandparent, ask yourself, what would you do if your child went missing? Millions of children all over the world, and they have parents. They have grandparents. They have brothers. They have sisters. I wonder how they feel. Those children are missing. If you believe there is a God, just pray and ask Him what you're to do to stop the massacre of millions of children around the world. This film, Sound of Freedom, again, it opens July 4th, 2023. Trailer and the details are in my uh, social media. Please take a look. Please go see this film. Well, I told you that this show had a lot in it, and thank you. Thank you for sticking with us. Now for a few closing thoughts. Hey, if you've made it this far through today's episode, then you're now aware of some of the most important issues in America and the world today. Well, as Americans, we're about to celebrate the 4th of July in a few days, and it's important that we tell the stories to our children and grandchildren of how from a, such a simple beginning, this nation grew to become what it is today, the most influential nation upon the face of the earth. Well, that being said, today's edition of Narrative Wars is about the attack on the very foundations of the American experiment. Will this republic, which we call the United States of America, last another 200 years, another 100 years, another generation. The French sociologist Alexis de Tocqueville was fascinated by the new republic called the United States of America. He came to America from Europe, traveled and made observations, which he published in a book called Democracy in America. And that was published way back in 1835. Philosopher John Stuart Mill called it among the most remarkable productions of our time. President Woodrow Wilson wrote that de Tocqueville's ability to illuminate the actual workings of American democracy was 
possibly without rival. Here's a couple quotes from Dick Tocqueville's work, Democracy in America. Liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. I know no country in which there is so little true independence of mind and freedom of discussion as in America. Despotism may govern without faith, but liberty cannot. So what shall we conclude from some of these observations from de Tocqueville? A nation which champions liberty is one that is built upon the cornerstone of morality. Morality will only fail if it is built upon human reason and emotion. Morality must be grounded in what George Washington called an appeal to heaven. These words were written on the very first flag flown on vessels in George Washington's armed forces. Liberty is built on the foundation of morality, and morality is built upon faith in the Creator. All we have to do is look on our coinage, which still proclaims, in God we trust. Faith is therefore inseparable from the concept of American liberty. And why? Well, because the person of faith understands that he can only experience liberty when he bows his knee before the Almighty Creator. Remember that famous painting of George Washington bowing his knee in prayer next to his horse before he crossed the Potomac? It's part of who we are as Americans. So what does Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, published back in 1835, have to do with today's program? Well, in short, everything. The transgender movement must be called out for what it is. It is a political movement and is based on immorality. For the transgender political activists, their God is the God of self. The transgender movement celebrates hedonism, and it proudly exhibits itself in public displays of nudity before our children. The transgender movement is antithetical to the American dream. De Tocqueville's observation that despotism may govern without faith, but liberty cannot, is prescient. An American without faith, an America built upon feelings, will certainly lead to the broad road of despotism and destruction. So be of good cheer, all is not lost. There are still courageous voices in America, like Riley Gaines and Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, chairman of the nonprofit Do No Harm. Both Gaines and Goldfarb are examples of those who are fighting the narrative wars, the culture wars. Now is not the time to stay on the sidelines. Now is the time to choose your course of action, especially as we approach this July the 4th holiday. Remember, our freedoms were won and they were fought because others made the ultimate sacrifice to secure our liberty. In closing, what are you going to do to celebrate 
this July the 4th. There's nothing wrong with the family barbecue and the traditional 4th of July get-together. Americans love to gather as friends and family. But what about those families that are missing a loved one? How do we think about them when we pass a missing person's photo in a public place? Will you carve out some time this July the 4th or in the days that follow to see the new film Sound of Freedom? As humans, we tend to shield ourselves from the realities of crimes against humanity. We face the horrors of slavery. We fought a war that almost destroyed our nation, but we survived. We fought two world wars and suffered, tragically, death of millions, but we survived. We fought a war against tyranny against England during the time of George Washington, and then a second time in 1812 at the Battle of New Orleans, we defeated England a second time, but we survived. We've endured the humiliating defeat of Pearl Harbor in 1941 and the devastating destruction of the Twin Towers in New York in 2001. And we survived. We are a resilient nation. Interestingly, there's a church in New York City that has been standing as long as all these events have occurred, according to the publication Insider, September 10th, 2018. Quote, St. Paul's Chapel is one of the oldest and most historically significant buildings in the city of New York. In fact, it's the only colonial-era church still standing in Manhattan. Built in the 18th century, the Georgian classic revival-style church has seen a lot. It's here in St. Paul's Chapel where President George Washington prayed after being sworn in at Federal Hall. It's here where President James Monroe's funeral service was held. It also witnessed and survived the September 11 attacks, serving as a chief relief center for the first responders. St. Paul's Chapel is only one block from the place where the Twin Towers were once standing. And miraculously, as if an invisible hand protected it, it survived without a scratch or a pane of glass broken. As a beacon of hope next to the shattered ruins of the once proud Twin Towers of New York City, St. Paul's Chapel remains as a witness to the terrors that occurred just outside its doors. St. Paul's Chapel, it could be argued, was truly protected by the hand of providence. So remember, this 4th of July and this month of July, what stories will you tell your family members? For you who are parents, what stories will you tell your children? What values will you pass on to the next generation? Let us consider once again the words of Alexis de Tocqueville, the French scholar, historian, and sociologist who came to the shores of America in the early 1800s because he was fascinated by the question, what is it that makes America unique among the nations of the world? At our core, Americans are a people of faith. For as de Tocqueville observed, quote, despotism 
may govern without faith, but liberty cannot. Until next time for Narrative Wars, I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are sick and tired. So tired.